to see young people in a city like Chicago, where often we turn on the news and we see the negative stereotypes of what is happening with youth, you come to this event and you see kids from the same neighborhoods and communities holding up their college flags, yelling and crying that they just got into Georgetown, yelling and crying that they just got into their dream school, how this is going to change the trajectory of their life. It is nothing like it. It's why I wanted to come work for this organization. This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story, and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Jeffrey Beckham Jr., CEO of Chicago Scholars. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Jeff, tell us about Chicago Scholars. Yeah, at Chicago Scholars, we uniquely select, train, and mentor academically ambitious students from under-resourced communities to complete college and become the next generation of leaders in their communities, their neighborhoods, and hopefully the country. Jeff, there are a lot of organizations devoted to helping first-generation college students. How is Chicago Scholars different, and why are you needed in Chicago? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. In Chicago, you literally can drive a five-mile distance between a neighborhood like Inglewood to Lincoln Park and see almost a 30% life expectancy gap. (gasps) At Chicago Scholars, we believe your zip code should determine your life outcomes. Our scholars come from some of the most underrepresented, under-supported communities in the city. And our organization for the last 26 years has surrounded them with mentorship, college counseling, access to jobs, and resources so that they can develop their whole potential. I often say we're the miracle grow and we do everything to pour into these young, amazing flowers built and rooted in concrete jungles to grow and thrive. We clear the weeds. We do everything that we can to make sure that they're able to thrive. And I think the organization has done it in a way that's rooted student first and considering the young people first of mind with the thought and mindset to get them back to the city to lead. Jeff, you've got an interesting model that you guys call the seven-year model. Tell us about this and how does it work? Yeah, when we talk about it, people often think we're a little nuts because seven years is a long time. But if you've done high school to college, that pathway, you know it goes relatively quickly. So we work with students at the end of their junior year of high school. They apply in the junior year. We start with them. And in that senior year, it's pretty intense. They are required to be part of a cohort of eight to 10 kids. They have three adult volunteer mentors. They have a dedicated college counselor. And we spend time with them on the career exploration and college exploration process. We actually have students apply early to school. And then when they get in, 
in the first year of college, we're still pretty hands-on. That's when that mentor stays with them. And we go from the group mentoring model to a one-to-one mentor-mentee relationship. After that, it really becomes more of a choose-your-own-adventure where students are away at school and they can opt in to optional programming we have. We have an internship program. We have a jobs readiness program. We have all kinds of things and partnerships we've built with companies in Chicago and around the country to let students find their way. And so we say it's very intense in those first two years. And then the next five is really come talk to us when they need us. Typically, what we see is in the junior and senior year, students always come back because now it's time for the job and they leverage that relationship with the mentor or our board of directors or our 200 plus corporate partners who have opportunities for the young people as well. Jeff, this is astonishing. So there are many organizations that maybe help students get into college. And once they're in college, it's kind of like good luck. Your full life cycle, you start in high school, go through college, and then help them find a job. Yeah. And that's why it's seven years. Exactly. That must take a lot of people (laughs) to really manage this whole endeavor. You would think. So give us a sense of scale, right? So how many staff, how many volunteers, how are you making this happen? Yeah, I mean, you would think it would take 100 plus people at least, right? No, we do this with an amazing staff of 50 full-time staff members, 25 part-time counselors, 400 volunteers every year who help us with all of our events, 200 mentors, 30 board members, 30 associate board members, and an alumni leadership association that we've built up over the years where the alumni are now coming back and mentoring. We have four alum on our board helping govern the organization. So you can see like it's definitely built around this idea of continuity of leadership and tiered mentorship. Ah. Jeff, give us a sense of scale. How many students are in your program currently? So currently we have over 5,000 students. <gasps> there are 3,300 students currently in college. Our current high school senior class is 550. And we have close to 1,700 alumni now who are coming back to be part of the work as well. And in a little bit of time, just after October 31st, we'll begin recruiting our next core group of students of 550 again. So you can see the cycle and the window happens every year. But it's a really amazing thing to watch and see students matriculate, persist, graduate, and come back to support their near peers who are sitting in seats they once sat in. This is amazing because it's not onesie twosies. This is hundreds of students every year that you're bringing into the program and shepherding throughout really their college careers until they launch. Hey, before we get into the things that Chicago Scholars is doing to thrive, and my gosh, thriving you are, tell us about your journey. You were in tech before this. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. And then you pivoted. Yeah, my background is actually in computer engineering, computer science. It's what I studied at the University of Missouri-Columbia, and I did that work for a long time in the healthcare sector. I actually worked as a sales engineer for a company doing, back then was HL7, which is basically the way hospitals communicate. While doing that work, I was mentoring. So, you know, I had a mentor ask me, you know, nine to five, it's all tech. Five to nine, it's all youth development and leadership. How do you plan to continue to do this at this pace? Like something's going to break because you are really invested in young people. And I was, I was mentoring and I mentor and other programs around the city to make sure that I was doing what I believe is like part of how I'm rooted and wired. So while you were working, you were a mentor. 
I was. Through some different program. Through many programs. Yeah. I think at one point I had like seven active mentor mentee relationships of students either in high school and college. And I was teaching as well. I was teaching a leadership program through the 100 Black Men of America and University of Illinois, Chicago. I ran that program for four years. It was a program called Pathways to Success that was funded by Fifth Third Bank. And it was a career and exploration program for young people that was a 12-week program where students were brought in to really explore opportunities to learn about themselves. So that kind of gave me the baseline of why I was so in love with this work and seeing and watching young people develop and thrive was something that kind of took a hold of me in a way that I didn't imagine. Tell us about the pivot. How'd you end up at Chicago Scholars? Yes, I was doing that work and I I did a leadership program through Booth and University of Chicago Booth School of Business and the Urban League called the Impact Program. I had a mentor, Dr. William Towns, who kind of set me down and helped me see that there was an opportunity to do the work that I loved every day. He also helped me to craft a leadership action plan to figure out what the pivot steps would be to get from full-time tech to nonprofit leadership. It was supposed to take five years. (laughs) It took a year. (laughs) Wow. Network and relationship. I was friends with the former CEO of Chicago Scholars, and they had a role, vice president of career and leadership development. What's interesting in that story, Joanna, is that I actually told myself when I first saw it post that I wasn't qualified. And so I decided not to apply for the role. Hmm. I saw the role posted again six months later. They'd done a search. They couldn't find anyone. And I said, well, why not me? I took a shot, took a leap of faith, applied, got the role and found out not only was the work in this type of work like uniquely crafted for my skill sets, but it also made me feel so much different than anything that I'd ever done in tech. I felt connected to not just purpose, but like every part of the pieces of skills and things that were in me that I wasn't able to use while I was in medical device sales or writing code or even doing selling for the healthcare company, none of that felt this way. And so when I joined Chicago Scholars, I got in very rapidly, very quickly. I went from being the new VP on the team to the most tenured in about 90 days. We had a lot of transition and turnover. And I got in the trenches with the former CEO to rebuild restructure, professionalize the organization, and grow from where, when I started, we were at 28 employees to where we are now at 50 full-time employees. Jeff, being in tech and then running a nonprofit, two very different things. What skills did you bring to the job and what skills did you need to develop? Great question. I'll start with what I needed to develop. When I got to nonprofit, just a rudimentary understanding of the nonprofit cycle of fundraising. I ran a startup too for a while. So it's eerily similar mm. to cash in, burn rate, cash out, managing your expenses very tightly, knowing with no uncertain terms where you hope to land. It's also interestingly similar to sales where we can forecast donors and probability to get dollars in to a specific amount to know with a pretty solid educated guess that we're going to land here. And that's how I ran my book of business when I was a sales rep. So those skills transfer really well. I think the narrative switch in how you talk about the work is a lot different. Obviously, Hmm. being able to present, being able to understand buying signals, being able to close are all important skills. But it's a lot different when you need to touch, move, and inspire people around a cause or a mission versus selling a widget. 
And so I had to learn how to pivot my language, how to share and use the power of story as opposed to the power of a product feature to deliver what we need in the end, which is closing and bringing dollars in the door. And so those two interestingly like intersections allowed me to use those skills, but also refine them in a way that worked in nonprofit. I think I brought a lot of leadership to the table and like I've done quite a few leadership development programs over the years to understand and be very self-aware of where my shortcomings are and where I'm strong. You know, if I look at my Gallup Strength Finder, like I'm great at, you know, futurist, activator, strategic, analytical, and woo, right? Those are my skills. Wow. Where I lack has always been in like the people quadrant. And so what I learned before coming to Chicago Scholars was surrounding myself with people who were great at the people part and great at the taking the vision and idea, putting it on paper and building a plan around it. And so I'm really fortunate to have an amazing team around me who they do that better than anyone I've ever seen, which is why I think we've been so successful as an organization. Jeff, what an amazing story. Let's turn to Chicago Scholars. How are you funded? Well, right now we are all currently funded by private donors, corporate gifts, and grant makers. So no state or federal funding. This all comes from the community. Wow. Yeah. I bet a big part of your job is fundraising, and that's probably really different from being a mentor. So much. And maybe even leading a startup, it's so different. So how are you managing that, and how do you develop those skills? My number two, Brooke McKean, who's our president and uh, amazing human, she's always fascinated by my energy to be at every event and be in every room. So most evenings, I'm going to another gala fundraiser, a political event to meet people, to open doors, to unlock opportunities for our scholars. And I think that has made me really good at the job that is, like you said, largely meeting folks and bringing collaborations and partnerships in. I also approach it from that perspective. When I meet folks, I don't go into it thinking immediately, like, what dollars can they give us? What can they do? I think first, what can Chicago Scholars do for them? Mm. How can we be value add to their life, their world, their goals as an individual or company? And out of that, we are able to build partnerships that are both mutually beneficial, where there's always some form of you're going to get something by this relationship with us. And hopefully you feel compelled to then provide something to the young people we serve as well. And so that approach has made me you know, really good at it. But your, your question around the time and the energy, you have to be really crafty and skilled at time management. Yeah. I've gotten better. And you have to have a really great support team because I couldn't do this without my family, my friends, the network of support I have around me who push me to practice good mindfulness habits, to take wellness into account. I do all that. I work out six days a week. So like all of those things are part of like the package of what allows me to do what I need to do to raise the $9.2 million that we need to raise annually to serve the young people. When you came on board, you said you had 28 staff and now you have 50. So clearly you've been able to fundraise successfully. Are you trying to fundraise more to be able to support more scholars? Is the need even greater? Yeah. Right now in Chicago, we had Lotus Blue come in and do a survey scan of the total addressable market in Chicago alone. Every year, there's four to 5,000 college-ready young people who would be ready for our program. I mentioned that we have 550 in our program, so we're knocking in about 10% of the total wow. need that's out there. We get 1,200 to 1,300 applicants every year. 
and we interview a thousand every single year. When I sit with the team and we look at those applications and we see who we have to turn away, I always ask like, of these students, what's the percentage you say they could actually be scholars? And they always say 100. Ah. So we know that the need is great. The resources are scarce, right? Especially in time and an environment with inflation, the cost to do everything is doubled from where it was when I started in 2018. Yet we are still growing, still seeking to think about scale responsibly because there's this thread in nonprofit of sustainability and scale. We want to be able to do both, right? Sustain the organization for the future years to come, but also help more young people. And so we've been really thoughtful in how we do that. We've actually built a platform to allow us to scale through technology while being able to sustain the organization into the future. And so I'm excited for what we're doing, but yeah, there's more students out there. And it is my goal in the role that I have to help as many as possible, to go after as many young people as we can. And we're planning to do that through our technology platform that'll allow young people to connect to our curriculum. So even if they can't be in our core program, we'll be able to offer them something. That can't be easy to look through 1,200 applications and accept 550. No. If you ask what's the toughest part about this job, obviously the fundraising, but right up there with it is turning away those young people every year. We do send them to other programs, but there's just not enough support in our city for the amount of young folks who are first-gen or from low-income backgrounds who want to go to school, who have demonstrated academic proficiency to be great students in college. And we're going to, we're not trying to, we're not hoping to, Chicago Scholars is going to continue to build platforms and ways to help them. Jeff, if there are 5,000 college-ready students who could be in your program and you're getting 1,200 applications, how do you spread the word about Chicago Scholars? Because you and I know that for some of these families, it's just hard to reach. They might come from non-English speaking households. Those parents don't read the bulletins. They don't go to parent-teacher meetings. How do you spread the word? We have a great partnership with Chicago Public Schools to start. They are probably the best way. The college counselors at the high school level do a great job every year sending messages out and making sure they're getting students to apply. We've built a really great student ambassador program. Ah. So our current scholars go back into their own high schools and neighborhoods to spread the word. Nice. That has actually rapidly increased the number of applicants we get each year. And then we've got great community partners too as well who come from the YMCA, YWCA, other youth-serving organizations, BAM and Youth Guidance. They're a great partner and many, many others who send us students. And we've developed that work and really gotten much tighter and better at that the last few years than we were historically, which has allowed us to bring more young people into the fold. We still got opportunity there. I think the next, as we think about the phases of work that we can grow in, community partnerships is one that I'm excited for to continue to build and grow. You know, I talk to CEOs that really talk about these partnerships as fueling their growth and their success and their impact. How do you cultivate these different organizations, especially given how spread thin you guys are? Yeah, it's definitely a alliance task. Our board of directors is amazing. They open a lot of doors for us as directors. And they, are, you know, we've built a culture of, we call it a culture of philanthropy, where it's not necessarily giving dollars, but building relationship together to think about how do we bring folks into the fold of our, our space, right? And 
that has helped quite a bit. The team is very skilled and equipped. And then we leverage the power of the collective voice of the students. You know, no one does it better than the young people. And so when we share stories of our young people, our blog, our newsletter, our social media accounts, our footprints and channels we use there, it's all the voice of the young people. And that opens doors better than anything I can say or do ever would. And so, you know, I think building on top of that has been a great way in which we've been able to build some really amazing partnerships. Jeff, on October 24th, you've got an amazing event coming up. It's the 16th annual On-Site College and Leadership Forum at Navy Pier. Tell us about this event. It's really important. The event is our signature event. Every year we bring the 550 young people that are part of our program, along with anywhere between 250 to 300 students from other community-based organizations in and around Chicago to Navy Pier. On one day, we have our 140 college partners there ready to do admissions interviews. Some of them will actually admit students that day. And so, for instance, last year, we had our students conduct over 3,300 interviews in one day. We have 1,500 admittances (gasps) and $85 million in merit aid given to students on that day. So it's an amazing event. To see young people in a city like Chicago, where often we turn on the news and we see the negative stereotypes of what is happening with youth, you come to this event and you see kids from the same neighborhoods and communities holding up their college flags, yelling and crying that they just got into Georgetown. yelling and crying that they just got into their dream school, how this is going to change the trajectory of their life. It is nothing like it. It's why I wanted to come work for this organization. Wow. We bring folks in. And while that's going on, we host a breakfast with our board and other stakeholders and friends on the other side of the room, and they can come and see. So they're able to see students getting in school. They're able to experience what Chicago Scholars really feels like. We have a leadership hub where we've partnered with other community organizations to provide resources for not just scholars, but parents. So we are registering students to vote on site and families. We are providing banking and financial literacy information. There's health information. There's also the Secretary of State's office that's coming this year to help people get the documentation they need to go get the real ID because Illinois as a state is moving to the real ID in 2024. And so is the process required to that. And so we want to make sure our young people and their families are prepared for that. So we use it as a way to not only highlight and talk about the power of our young people in college, we say the theme of onsite is seeing is believing because we want the young people to see their peers, see the community supporting them in a way that they believe in them and they believe in themselves. But we also want the community to see how great our young people are and to believe in the power of youth in Chicago and youth leadership. So, Jeff, on October 24th, one of your students could do an interview with Georgetown and get accepted way before other students are getting accepted into college normally. Absolutely. So that really speaks to the power of the relationships that you've developed with those colleges. They know that you have quality students that they want and that you've prepped them well. That's right. We say curated talent cultivated and curated talent. That is what we do. And it is really labor intense. The months leading up to onsite for the students, you got to think about it. These kids have just finished their junior year. This is summertime. If you think about what you did in the summer of your junior year, you probably weren't doing college applications, college expirations, getting transcripts, 
and getting letters of recommendation from your teachers, right? That's what our kids have been doing the last three months so that they were able to submit college apps September 30th. So for most folks, school had just started, right? You're just starting school. So our kids, many of our students will know where they're going to school before their peers will be doing the same months out. Wow. Jeff, how do you involve the families in Chicago Scholars? Because we all know that really it takes a village, right? And the family environment is so important. The college decision really is a family decision. And so, you know, as I mentioned, the workshops leading up to onsite, there are workshops dedicated to parents and family members to support the students. Sometimes it's things like hearing from college admissions counselors of like why their environments are good for their students. Sometimes it's all based around finances and understanding what the FOSFA means and how to plan for what that parental support component may be. At the onsite, we have a parent's room where we're talking about the college process. They hear from college admissions counselors on how to pay for school, what are the things to look out for, what are the hidden costs of college that you may not know will come. And then there's also the social and emotional component. We talk about letting the student go how to support your student through challenges and obstacles that happen on campus, and what resources will Chicago scholars and the broader college landscape and community provide to make sure their students' wellness and health are taken care of while they're away at school. We offer those in multi-language, many languages. So even for our parents who may not be native English speakers, they're able to understand and have folks deliver the content in a way that makes sense and is inclusive for them. We started doing that about three years, well, taking into account the two pandemic years, maybe five years ago, we started building this out to make sure that we included families into the decision because we saw for a lot of our first generation students, there was apprehension to leave, to leave home, to leave the city, to leave their parents. And so by including parents in that process, we can make sure that students are able to go to their dream schools, whether they're in Chicago or they're going to Yale, Harvard. Howard or USC, they have an opportunity to go to the school that will be the best fit and match for them so that they can thrive and graduate. Jeff, this is all amazing stuff. If one of my listeners wants more information, where do they go? Yeah, they can visit us on all social channels at Chicago Scholars. And our website is www.chicagoscholars.org. There are amazing scholar stories there. So if you go visit the site, you can actually hear directly from young people about the experience of our program, about on-site, and all the things that we're doing to support young people. Jeff, before we go, I got to delve into something completely different, and that is your life as an artist. When I was doing research for this podcast, I found Jeffrey Beckham, the CEO of Chicago Scholars, and Jeffrey Beckham, the artist. And I asked you, is that you? And you said yes. So you have a separate identity. You're like Superman, right? <laughs> With your secret identity as an artist. <laughs> Tell us about your art. Yeah, believe it or not, I started painting three years ago, right at the onset of the pandemic. I did not know it was a skill I had. So as a web developer and a graphic designer, I understand that like the tenets of design and of course, color theory, symmetry, composition. But to apply that to the campus was something that developed when we were all stuck in a house. Yeah. You know, not married. I don't have children. And so the kids that see us and my kids and my paintings are right along with it. It's been right alongside the work I do at Chicago Scholars, life-changing and life-altering. I've had paintings featured in feature films on every major television network. Wow. I'm always getting pinged on social media 
that my piece is behind someone on CNN or just yesterday, a social media influencer, with like a few million followers had it behind him as he's doing movie reviews. And so I'm always astonished to see that my art is taking me places that I have not been able to physically go yet. I mean, I've got artwork that's now been in four continents and in nine countries and all over the place. And so, yeah, I love it because it allows me to point a lens back to Chicago scholars and the work we do there in a way with an audience that we may not typically capture, a global audience who is interested in not just the artwork, but the stories I tell through the artwork, which is usually stories of young people, of youth leadership, of success, of thriving, which is all of the things that we're hoping to do with our scholars and the work we do as Chicago scholars. So Jeff, if one of my listeners wanted to see examples of your amazing artwork, where do they go? Yeah, they can follow me as well. It's Jeff Beckham on like all the social channels. And then my art website is artbyjeffbeckham.com. You can see the pieces, enjoy them. If you Google search it, it brings up videos and interviews and a lot of things you can learn about some of the fun stuff that I've been able to do in the art community. Do you actually sleep? <laughs> you know, I get about six hours a night. <laughs> I do. I And my dad always, he's big on me around rest. You know, that's the support I have. And so I've been really disciplined in learning most of my life, like as a young person. And so I get up in the mornings relatively early and I use that time to read and then I paint before I go into work. And so it settles me, but it also gives me time to think creatively about problems Mm. that may need to be addressed inside of the work as well. And it's been great because I have a great executive coach who asked me a question. She said, when you're creating a painting, how do you know you're making the right move? And I actually told her, I never know when I'm making the right move, but I always know when I've made the wrong one. Ah. And she said, well, that same feeling, lean into that as you make decisions in leadership at Chicago Scholars. And it's helped. I know when that's not the right move. I can feel it in the same way I can when I'm painting. And so these lessons of art definitely translate and create a nice intersection in the work that I do at Chicago Scholars. Jeff. This has been an amazing interview. I want to thank you for being on the podcast today. I hope that you'll come back and tell us how Chicago Scholars is thriving and how you're meeting the needs of more students. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye! Bye!